As the world is writing a new story of global kinship, Postmodern Missionary dives into what it means to be a missionary pushing against the heritage of colonialism. Join Reverend Katie Meek as she explores life and faith in Sierra Leone. Welcome back to the Postmodern Missionary Podcast. Uh, this is week two of my conversation with Allie and Charles Curry. And um, if you did not listen to last week's conversation, my suggestion is that you go back there and listen to that first because um, it gives a lot of background. Essentially, this conversation is ramped up. We just we just walk right into it. And um, I think that you're really going to enjoy it because you get to watch Allie and Charles kind of be who they are. Allie's got this like feisty fire and Charles is um, is like this just kind of smooth, uh, even keel kind of guy. Uh, but they both have a lot of passion for racial reconciliation, which is the conversation we're having. I really hope that you enjoy it. At the end of this conversation, I'm going to give some of my own resources. You'll notice that Allie talks about diversifying your um, intake. And so I've got some resources for some people that you might be able to follow and get more information about what you're looking for, as well as all the stuff that Allie talks about in this episode. And last week's episode is going to be in the show notes too. So um, at the end of this conversation, I'm going to come back and give you another couple of people to follow. Otherwise, um, I really hope you enjoy it. I hope that it really sparks something in you. And uh, even if it makes you mad, just sit in that mad. It's okay. <laughs> uh, even if it pushes you, just sit in that and um, and kind of let that ask yourself the question of why it pushes you and see where that leads you um, with the guidance of uh, your own spirit or the spirit of God. I think that it's just worthwhile um, work. So... I hope you enjoy the conversation. And then I think I don't necessarily know what to do about this problem. And I think maybe I potentially am a part of it, but there's some, somebody has got to say something about the fact that all the people coming to do the work are all white (laughs) Right. Even if they're not all American versus, right. you know, I mean, Charles being kind of distinctly different in that way. And when people found out that he does not have any kind of connection to Sierra Leone with his roots, right. people are confused on why he's here. Right. So I think there's something to say there. I'm not quite sure what mm-hmm. what it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So one thing that came to mind and I will um, I'll put it in the show notes was I just read an article recently where somebody I think it said we need to we need to talk about racism in the development sector um, and uh, how they're um, like just because we're doing this work doesn't mean that it doesn't ra- our like our prejudices don't enter into the work that we do and all of those sorts. of Yeah. Things. And and I like. Again, here with my definitions, Mm -hmm. I have prejudice being a preconceived judgment or opinion based off of limited information. Oh, that's good. And racism being system of advantage based off your race. So it's prejudice plus power. Right. And so I think that's why when I talk about my family or when I talk, when we talk about people that we interact with that are that are traditionally showing us some kind of negative opinion about us we recognize that that's because their prejudice and their prejudice is built off of whatever experiences that have continually led right however if my family is acting or reacting a certain way Mm. that is a show of racism because they have power right because of the fact that the systems, particularly in America, are built for white people to succeed. Right. So. Well, and even you coming here, like you're, sure, a white, absolutely. you're a white person in Sierra Leone. And so that means that you are the minority. But in terms of power, oh, we yeah. have historic power. And so people mm-hmm. defer to us mm-hmm. um, based on the color of our skin and no other reason. Like I've not earned that. Right. Um, and uh, so in that respect, like, yes, we can understand because we are the minority. And like, I do get pulled over by sure. cops because of the color of my skin sometimes. Um, but at the same time, um, the the power dynamics. Are right. Still, like we, we still hold. Um, I'm still sitting in the room 
and they're asking me for my opinion even though I'm completely 100% unqualified to give it. Right. Yeah, like there's And so then you have you have the responsibility to figure out whether you need to remove yourself from that room. Right. And so you know, I don't have a good answer or a good equation for that. But I also, Melanie and I always say like racial reconciliation, it's not an equation, it's an art. Mm -hmm. And so it just like, we can't get, I can't give you a formula on how this needs to be done in your context. You're going to have to, you know, use all the the skills that you have and all of the knowledge that is readily available to you to put that together. Yeah. It's interesting. Rob Bell in one of his, no, I think I saw him live one time and he was talking about completely unrelated but I think it relates to this um how as a pastor he could always tell if he walked into the room and he tilted the room Mm -hmm. and so he was very that was his language I tilted the room so as the pastor he's a person of authority he walks into a room everybody defers to him and so he was very careful about the relationships that he formed Mm -hmm. like with church members um and because he never wanted to be in a personal friend to friend relationship in which he tilted the room. Right. Um, and I think, um, being able to recognize when you walk into a room and you're tilting it toward you, um, is a, is an important skill. Yeah. One of the things that Melanie told me really early on in our relationship was one of the things that you can do for me is understand that you're white Mm -hmm. and understand what your whiteness brings to our relationship yeah, and to all of the relationships that you're in. And so that's what I say to white people now is one of the kindest and most loving things you can do for the people of color in your life is figure out your whiteness and how that affects your relationships and the dynamics that you're in and what power you actually wield. Um, and that, that, yeah, that'll yeah. that'll be all I said about that. Yes, yeah. it could go into a lot more. Yeah, and like uh, this is probably a um, rabbit trail we don't want to go on necessarily, but I think sometimes when we use the, I'm I'm pro the language people of color, um, because it's so inclusive of not just black whites, mm-hmm. uh, but at the same time I think sometimes then we forget that white is also a color. Like, um, we, we have our own way of being and doing things as well and have to recognize it. And it's not the gold standard. It is, it is just one way among many, many, many. Mm -hmm. Right. So Charles, I want to go to you. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to each of you, um, specifically around like what racial reconciliation looks like for black people and people of color and for white people Mm -hmm. and people of color Mm -hmm. or for white people. Um, so, um, I know it's not necessarily like I've done enough educating myself to know that it's not black people's job to educate the white folks Mm -hmm. about all of these sorts of things. But Mm -hmm. I do want to know, um, what does it mean, um, from your perspective, what does reconciliation work look like for black people and other people of color? Mm. Allie kind of spoke a little bit about knowing yourself, I think that that is imperative for anyone, regardless of, you know, where they're from or their race or whatever. So I think that's an important part. But one of the things, at least in my opinion, I feel like people of color, uh, especially in the U.S., are going to be more aware Mm. um, of that than than a white person would. Not, Not, you know, in every situation, but I feel like the way that, you know, white has been the norm. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of times, you know, it can be easy for white people to not think about their race. Whereas for minorities, they have to, they live in that. And so I think not to say that they just fully know who they are, but when it comes to that part, I think they have a head start on awareness and consciousness regarding those things. Uh, but it's still uh, an important part of the work is knowing yourself. Um, but I think this, I mean, this is a hundred percent opinion. I won't speak for anybody else, but I think some of the biggest, um, roles, some of the biggest works for, um, people of color and reconciliation. I think the biggest thing is just staying at the table. Um, well, first I need to be at the table, right? Uh, but just, um, not giving up Mm -hmm. because I think that, you know, when you look at, I'll speak for, you know, black Americans, 
the 400 years of what we've endured as a people in the U.S., you know, it can be very easy to say that I'm done, you right. know, when it's 2019 and there's still a very high prevalence of people thinking, you know, oh, we're past this or there's nothing, that, you know, that needs to be done. When you encounter ignorance that far along, what's the point, you know? This isn't getting anywhere, so why would continue to waste my time or my family's time or, you know, whatever? Uh, and it can be very easy to just, you know, this is just what it's going to be. It's not going to change, so right. just leave it at that. And I think that in a lot of ways that's a justified response. Because it's not your job. It's not your job, exactly. Yeah, like it's not your <clears throat> job to, to educate everyone. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the biggest thing is just, and this is something, again, that is from the Lord. I think it takes divine grace mm-hmm. um, for a person to continue in pursuing, you know, reconciliation when all of your efforts are met with, you know, ignorance or you look down at or you're just labeled as an angry black person or whatever it is, you right. know. So I think staying is, is uh, one of the biggest things. Along those same lines, I think forgiveness also mm-hmm. uh, is another one that, again, takes um, it's nothing but God's grace right. uh, that you can do it. But it's every day, you know, because things might be fine for me in my works towards reconciliation. But as soon as I see Mike Brown on the TV, it you know, it's a big hit at that. Um, and year after year, I see the same stories in the news or even people that I'm close with, if they, you know, experience something or have something happen, it can be very easy to just, you know, want to give up on that. So I think uh, not giving up, being committed to um, forgiving and, you know, just showing up. Yeah. And so in other words, um, as we would say back home, to stay prayed up and, you know, really continue in your walk with the Lord because that's the only way you'll be able to do those things. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you can't go in your own strength. No, not at all. Yeah. Okay, so what does racial reconciliation look like for white people? Um, Well, I want to tack on to what Charles said because he said um, we need to stay at the table. So I think in um, relationship to that, that means if you're a white person who has the seat at the table – you either move your seat over or better yet, you get up and you let him or any person of color whose voice needs to be heard, you let them sit in your seat. Now, I think that there's varied levels of which um, there can be a lot of shame and a lot of guilt in this work for a white person. And I think that sometimes we have a tendency to believe we need to remove ourselves completely Right. From these spaces. And I would challenge that belief also is like, you know, there are times where we give up our seat completely. And there are times where we move to the foot of the table and mm-hmm. we give the microphone away, but we're still there. Right. And we're still present. I think that that's really important because um, one of the things that I think is important is d- reconciliation is not assimilation. So it's not just making sure that we're all the same. Right. It's making sure that um, actually what I have written here Mm -hmm. is that uh, it's racial reconciliation is the act of members of differing racial and or ethnic groups that were once at odds, confessing sin to each other, repenting, forgiving and building a new normal together in Christ. Mm -hmm. So, And I think this definition is uh, courtesy of Melanie. And so one of the things that she and I talk a lot about in our relationship is what is our new normal? Mm. So what are we, what are we working towards? And so that may, that requires both of us. And we have a joke that like our new normal involves both Chaco's and church hats because there is like I wear chacos which are a very classically white thing to wear right and she's always since I married Charles giving me a hard time saying I need to wear a church hat right and I'm like no girl that's yours and these are mine and I ain't gonna make you wear my chacos and you don't make me wear your church hat so I think that we we are creating a space where both of those things are welcome Uh but then I have more to say on that I think it um for a white person doing this work, it re- it requires, one, you educate yourself, mm-hmm. meaning that you, I think one of the easiest way to do that is you diver- diversitize your intake, diversify yeah. your intake. Yeah. That across all, like, 
platforms. So if you're a person like me who loves television, mm-hmm. I make sure that the television I watch has stars that are different ethnicities, different races. Right. So I'm not just intaking worlds and TV shows that look like the world and TV or in the world that I live in. Mm-hmm. I also make sure that the same is true of, of my daughter. She's taking in media that looks like her and a myriad of other people so but also the books you read Mm -hmm. the instagrams that you follow the twitter that you follow all of those things can actually be done by google and like don't require you to ask a black person or a person of color for help and so (laughs) like one of the things that i figured out actually i think melanie told me which again she did not have to tell me and this was graciousness extended to me is i asked a stupid question and she said you know they make google like, you know, they've got that for you guys. <laughs> like <laughs> you can, you can get on there and figure that out for yourself. And that was actually really helpful to me was to say like, I love information. Mm-hmm. And so we can do some research ourselves before asking that question. Right. There are tons of articles that are on a varying of levels about different experiences that we can read before we turn to a person of color. The second thing I would do is before you're turning to that person of color, you need to make sure you have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And that relationship is built upon more than, than conversations about race. I'll never forget a time where someone approached Melanie and was like, I've adopted a black daughter. I need you to sit down and talk to me. Mm. And I was like, she's not free. <laughs> you know, right, like, like and and it's not her job to be your teacher yeah and at first I didn't really recognize that until she said something along the lines of like I feel like I'm just here to teach people and that's exhausting that has got to be exhausting and so we can educate ourselves and then when we need further education we go to people who we have relationships with but that means you need to be having relationships with people across racial lines and across ethnic lines those need to be natural interactions you don't build a relationship with a person because they're black and think oh i need a black friend like Mm -hmm. you make a relationship with someone across a line a, a racial or ethnic line because you want to get to know them right and and so that's important but then i think another one and i like uh, hesitate to dive too deep into this topic, but I think it's important that we like, we have to talk about the fact that we're privileged, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to acknowledge that systems are built for us to succeed. And I've thought a lot about this. Like, why does it bother white people so bad to think that they got something they didn't earn? Yeah. When, if you're a believer, you need to acknowledge the fact that you didn't earn your salvation. Right. So there's something, I don't know what to that is there, but there's something to the fact that we don't have to actually earn everything right. that we have. Yeah. Um, but you need to acknowledge, there's a, a really great article called Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack, Knapsack by Peggy McIntosh. And they're, it's it's just incredible. You read through it and it'll it kind of lets you see with a very objective lens how systems in this world, especially in America, were created for you to succeed. Mm-hmm. And so you've got you've got some when there's knowledge that that means you've got responsibility to that knowledge. So you've got to do something with the fact that you figure out you're privileged. Right. That's going to look different for everybody, so I'm not going to give you a prescription on how to do that. But you you have to acknowledge it. You've And there are people that I know that I walk really closely with or that I grew up with that don't want to acknowledge that that even exists at all. And I think as long as you're in that space, you're not really ever going to be able to, to do this work. Yeah. And then I think another thing that this can be the last thing because there are just so many things you could say, but there is also a really helpful book called The Roadmap, uh, The Reconciliation Roadmap, roadmap by Brenda Salter McNeil and she has this kind of um, graph that's a circle and so she says that we're all on this circle and we don't really ever get off the circle and we're at varying parts of the circle and so it's realization identification preparation and activation Mm -hmm. so no matter where you are in your life or if you've gone through the circle once you're kind of always looking for um opportunities to move to the next place Mm -hmm. so for me like the realization that there's an issue was when I became a young life leader and I saw the disparity Mm -hmm. and so all of these things have this movement towards the next and knowing that that work's not over like 
I am married to a black man and have a black daughter, but I'm still prejudiced and I still, there are still moments where I have power and because of my prejudice, I'm racist. And so I have to acknowledge those things. And that's a work that I'm going to have to continue to fight against my whole life. And so just like sitting in the fact that there, I think it's really hard for white folk to say like, I'm, I'm wrong and I got something here I didn't earn. Right. Um, but we need to sit in that space of being really uncomfortable. And one of the things actually that Charles and I talk a lot about in our marriage is like, um, what's the word? Putting ourselves in an environment that is not our own for the sake of the other consistently. Mm. So when we are at home, we are going to a Super Bowl party by all hosted by Charles's friends and family where I'm the only white person and I could go to my own friend's party that same night, but I'm going to put myself in a position where I'm the one who's different for the sake of the other, mm-hmm. because that's what love looks like. But I think that even if you're not married to someone who's a different color than you, it's important for you to go to a space where you don't look like everybody else and sit in that space and learn so that you can make friends across racial and ethnic lines and so that you can love people well, because you can't love someone well unless you know them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's important. And then I feel like we've there's a lot. I feel very strongly about (laughs) all of these things, particularly about the fact that like it is our job because what you just heard Charles say is it's my job to forgive. And I'm like, it's our job to like make forgiveness minimally necessary. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like there is actually things we can do. Right. Like cause less harm. Right. And like I have um, this girl who's an adoptee who I listen to a lot and one of the the things that she says is like if you know better you have to do better right and I'm like we live in 2019 Google is available the internet is available people are getting killed in the streets of America because of their color do your I know about (laughs) do your research like (laughs) it is time for us to like make forgiveness less necessary that's obviously not realistic for all things, but you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Right. And, um, yeah, go ahead, Charles. Yeah. Sorry. I just want to add one thing regarding like people of color in this work. Uh-huh. I think it, I, as Allie was talking, it made me think about something that's happened with myself. So this is me more speaking to myself when I was first starting. Um, but make sure that you have safe space. Mm-hmm. like a safe place or safe places for yourself. Yeah. Um, I think we were married by this point, but I remember a day where, you know, where I was working um, was, I mean, basically all white. Um, church environment at that time was essentially all white, except for mm-hmm. maybe three or four of us. Um so every context that I was in was like predominantly white. And there was one day I, I got home and I just cried. Mm. And it was just purely out of fatigue. Right. Like I was I was done. Yeah. And I was like, I need to I need like 30 minutes with somebody else's black. That's right. it. Um, because you're I mean, like your body's tired. Yeah, my body's you're, tired. You're, you're in some ways I would say even tired. my soul was tired yeah, in a lot of ways. Because you 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 have to spend a lot of time translating yourself. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I think um it's really important to have uh that space. And the thing is, no one else is gonna fight for that space for you. Mm-hmm. So you have to take the initiative to to have that space for yourself. So if it's, you know, with your family or friends you went to school with, whatever that looks like. Make sure that you have that space where you're free to vent or whatever you need to do. Mm. Yeah. That's powerful. I, I, I remembered now. Okay. <laughs> um, the last thing that I had that I felt like was really important was um, to lament. Mm. And I say that with so many things at play and even listening to Charles and I've heard the same thing from my other friends who are people of color creating a safe space for them. I think in order to lament and to lament rightly, we have to like not take that personally because, um, as Charles's wife, that could have been a really hurtful situation to think he's coming into our home and like, I can't give him 
what he needs. Right. But like, it's not my responsibility to do that either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a little note on marriage. Like <laughs> not your spouse's job to give you everything you need, but also that's, I don't need to take that personally because it's not about me. And when we make the situation about us, we can't properly lament. Mm -hmm. And I don't say lament as in feel sad that your ancestors captivated, stole. I mean, I think you should feel sad about that. Right. I don't think that that, and I hear the, the narrative a lot of like, well, that was forever ago. I had nothing to do with that. That might be true, but like we have to acknowledge that that existed and that some part of our story may somehow be connected to what happened since then. But I think we lament the Charleston shooting. We lament Mike Brown. We lament all of these things happening and we mean it. We sit in the sorrow of the people of color in our lives and we feel that with them. I mean, I remember when the Charleston nine happened and I worked in Charleston for two summers and I wrote a letter to my non-existent black son. And I was like this life, like I won't, I will never, even my daughter now who I know her face, like I won't have her experience. I won't be able to like share that with her. But again, is it my job to do that? Or is it my job to set her up with people in her life who do share that same experience with her and can walk with her? So like, I think we acknowledge our limitations and we don't make it. The story's not about us. The story is not about us. But also we, there's a great book called Prophetic Lament. I recommend it to everyone. And it really walks through what that process of lamenting well looks like. And I think we, we are, our lamenting leads us to action. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say we can sit in our sorrow and feel our shame forever. It says we feel the, the burdens and the pain of our, friends and people of color and then we move towards something right right. yeah i have lots of conversations with uh, uh, another wonderful vibe about um about that idea of emotion emotion is actually meant to Mm -hmm. to produce action Mm -hmm. and it and it teaches you something um so that then you can move right right um one thing that i wanted to touch on just as a as a preacher because i've i've I feel like I could preach this, um, but this uh, this idea that um, we have a hard time accepting that there are things about our lives that we didn't earn ourselves, and how that's actually kind of at, at odds with the gospel. So, so for me, I think for Christians specifically, um, t- to be able to say, okay, so this is actually um, a theology problem. Like mm-hmm. this is this, you know, we in the United States, and I, you know, I think this is true. Um, for most people in the United States, but I'm a woman. And so I think about it from a, from a woman's perspective, there are, there are so many things that we have to do and be and live up to this ideal. So consistently, like we have to have rock hard abs and also be, um, wonder moms and also be, um, you know, all of these things. And so I do think that there is this messaging from our culture that says you have to, um, earn all of these things yourselves, but, but, um, and so it pushes against our theology, which is to say, we can't earn it. Um, in fact, it is a gift given freely. Right. And um, to be able to accept the grace of God um, that we've been given things that we haven't earned is also, um, I think, I think one of the steps toward reconciliation, racial reconciliation as mm-hmm. white people to um if we can accept that, then we can start to accept some of the other pieces of, um, what we've inherited. Right. Which is why we believe our church believes it. And we, as a family believe like racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. Mm -hmm. And we do this work because our souls need it, not because we need to do it or, or we need to do it for each other. And that's what I mean when I say, racial reconciliation isn't something we do for someone else. We do it because it's soul work. Mm -hmm. And that, and that sounds maybe selfish and maybe contrary to everything I've just said, but like you need to like love yourself and your soul and care for it in a way that is saying, I'm going to, this is, this is a whole picture of the gospel. The gospel's holistic. And so it means this work too. Yeah. Yeah. And like when you're broken off from one part of the body, then that means, I mean, let, let's go ahead and preach, right? Like we, we, if we are the body of Christ and, and there is an entire section of the body 
from which we are severed, then that means that we are broken fundamentally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so um, on a on a on a Christian level, on a gospel level, this work really is about the fundamental work of um, of God pulling all of us back together. It's kingdom work. Absolutely, absolutely, and it is like. We have to believe what it says in Revelation that all kingdoms, tribes, tongues, Mm -hmm. people, ethnicities will be there. So we are doing a like one day, but also now work like Mm -hmm. that is already true because Mm -hmm. it's written. It is already true. It will be that way. So but not yet but is now. So we have to like, if we know it's going to be, then we have an obligation to work toward it. Well, and not just work toward it, but like live inside the kingdom. Right. We, okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But there is this, I mean, there is a sense and a truth in which we are living in uh, right on top of two separate realms. The, the realm of the world quote world as they talk about in the Bible, but then also there's the kingdom of God. And so to be able to then say, all right, I'm living in eternity already right now, which means that I'm moving toward what heaven looks like, what the new creation looks like. And that looks like reconciliation. Right. Do you want to say anything about that, Charles? I got nothing right now. Okay. So it seems to me like right now, especially in the States, but across the globe, there has been like a flare up in tensions around some of the um, ethnic strife, racial strife. What a lot of people are saying, what I hear a lot of people saying, specifically in the United States, is why why do we have to deal with this again? We already dealt with this in the civil rights movement. <clears throat> like, why is this flaring up again? Why can't they just be happy because there are rights, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's what I hear. So I'm wondering what you would say to that. Like, why, mm-hmm. why is this work still needed? Right. Um, so I... We'll try to give like two illustrations mm. so this question itself like i was just really thinking like, i don't know you know if i was if there was someone in front of me with this you know kind of ideology what i would say to them but the only illustration that could come to my mind that i would share with them would be you know if picture your house you know your home being like in flames. Um, so it's pretty big fire it started. The house isn't like a goner, mm-hmm. but like you have a really serious problem on your hands. What what are you gonna do? Like a really big fire. Mm. Anyone with some common sense would say, I'm gonna call fire department. Right. Or fire patrol or depending on where you're from. Um and so you call them with the hopes that, you know, they come they're going to take care of that fire. Your job is to get out, you know, you get out of the house, make sure everyone's taken care of. Um, And along those lines, when someone says, you know, we dealt with this with the civil rights movement, the things that Dr. King and the rest of those brothers and sisters did in the civil rights movement was essentially the phone call that said, we have a big fire here. That's what that was. Mm-hmm. That that didn't put the fire out. Right. They're bringing attention to a, and this is a big fire. So right. meaning it didn't just start. There's right. a fire that's pre-existing, like it's already here. You know, this is the situation. Someone needs to like other people need to come and help put this out. Wow. Um, and so if you keep the mentality that we dealt with it, then the fire is going to continue to grow mm-hmm. um, to the point that it is going to destroy a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. and and hurt people you know um so i think that you know i think that's the best illustration i could think of for you know if someone says that you know or even things that maybe not communicating it audibly but right um, that there are still injustices in the world like there's, yeah there's, there's still, still injustices a, there's right. still a disparity right um, exactly. people of color still experience um like racism they exactly. they like 
um, the the availability of jobs, the availability, exactly. all of that is still right. limited. Like based pay on is not fair. Um, you know, all kinds of things. Like right, like currently in the U.S., one of the bigger issues regarding that stems from race is, um, you know, the uh, mass incarceration is a thing. Yeah. Oh um, gosh. And that's black and brown people. Right. Um, but I think you know you started the question on a global scale. I, th- I think even when you come to Africa, you think of you know, South Africa and Nelson Mandela and, uh, you know, apartheid. Again, those were the initial phone calls saying there's a big fire here. Right. But those are still, you know, if you speak to anyone that has been there or is there, we had uh, the privilege of meeting this um, gentleman named Craig Stewart, who is in Cape Town. He does work there. And this was, you know, four or five years ago. But even today, those issues are still very prevalent. And so when you have those big movements and big moments in the histories of countries and communities, they can, because in some ways they feel like wins. Right. Or even for us, you know, like the first time I voted was when Obama was running his first election. Yeah. And when he won, that felt like a huge win for, for sure for black folks, but I think people of color in general. Yeah. Um, but it's one moment, but it doesn't it doesn't suffice to to quench that fire. Right. Um, it doesn't eradicate. It doesn't eradicate anything, but rather it kind of puts a light on. Again, there's still a fire here. Mm-hmm. It needs our attention, and we need to work towards putting it out. Yeah, that's a really good metaphor. Yeah, and I think even even if people were to argue that the fire had been put out, we are still leaving our our people living in ashes like Mm -hmm. so I think there's something to say there too and I just kept thinking like I'm sorry but the fact that we can share a drinking fountain doesn't feel like enough like (laughs) that doesn't feel like enough I'm sorry like and I I tend to when someone asks me that question or says that comment to them my question back to them is what are your what are your people look like what's your circle look like Mm -hmm. if you're asking me that question your circle probably looks like people who look like you Mm -hmm. which means that you can't really feel the weight of that until your circle looks different because for me like there will ne- I will never stop fighting or working towards this work because I have children mm-hmm. and their lives will ma- their lives matter. And if you're a white woman or a white man and you're raising children, you want everything that is good for them. Right. And luckily the world is set up to where that might happen. Mm-hmm. But for those of us who are parenting or are people of color, that's not it's not set up for our children to succeed especially not for women of color mm-hmm. which is a whole different conversation um the world is is set up for women of color to fail mm-hmm. and so there's there is a work there and it means that your hand is to the plow and it doesn't come up mm-hmm. and and i'm one of those people who has a tendency to say all these people using this verbiage of fighting you got to fight this battle. We got to do this thing. Like everybody needs to chill out. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like why are we, why are we all trying to fight? But I do think there's something to this illustration of like, we are the Israelites walking around Jericho and we are doing this walk and we're going to keep doing this walk right. until something falls. And like, that could be years or days and we don't know, yeah. but we can't stop walking because we've been told we've been given a commandment, a yeah. commandment from the Lord. And we now have an obligation to keep walking around that wall. And I just feel like it's not obviously people are still getting shot. So the work's not done. Mm -hmm. Like, and so our hand is still to the plow. And I think, you know, one of this, this conversation comes up a lot with Charles and I, like we're specifically interested in um, orphan care, caring for vulnerable children and marginalized children. And a lot of times people will be like, well, how can you do that work and racial reconciliation? How can those, how, cause you have to fight for racial reconciliation. That's got to be what you're doing. And we're like, that is one estimating that the Lord is only small enough to deal with one issue. Right. And two, this issue is permeating into all things. Right. Into, in, into all cultures and into all like justice. Right. Um, ish, social justice issues. And so we have to keep our eyes open. So whatever platform as a listener you have, whatever thing you're passionate about or whatever thing is your niche, like this is yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> we just got to like open our eyes to see it. Yeah. 
Yeah, my bishop was talking to us pastors one time about being evangelists outside of the pulpit. And he was like, just wherever you go, be Christian there too. You know, right. like, and, and I think that that's true for this work. Wherever you go, the work's going to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can do it wherever you are. Right. And I had a teacher in college, um, a teacher. I had a, a man who discipled me. And one of the things that he said a lot is um, with every person, with every problem, with every group of people, there's a question that they're asking yeah. that only the gospel can answer. Yeah. But you've got to like go be a part and be in that people person's life whatever to figure out what question is the gospel answering there so like that's our vision for sierra leone the work that we're doing the work in orphan care there's a question that only the gospel can answer and we've got to figure out what that question is and then how how the gospel answers that right um that is the same in this setting yeah and and some and a lot of times the gospel you know i think a lot of people think that that evangelism and the gospel looks like salvation and then that's it um but really a lot of times what the gospel looks like is this work it's reconciliation yeah. mm-hmm. it's um it it's it's not an inward work it's an outward for the world um let's let's bring us all together so that we can look like the peaceable kingdom mm-hmm. that god intended mm-hmm. uh it's it's that work it's shalom work mm. um all right so the last thing I want to ask you is how do you feel about the future of this work? Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Are you f- like neutral? Um, I feel like that it probably won't be over until we're in heaven. Yeah. Um, that doesn't make me necessarily like pessimistic or optimistic about it, but I went to Israel and studied there for a couple of weeks uh, like three three three-ish weeks when I was in college and one of the things that I was um, talking to a Palestinian Christian there and he said you know there there won't be peace in the Middle East until the Prince of Peace is here Mm. that kind of translating in this that into our conversation here is kind of how I feel about this work this this work won't be done until we're in heaven around the throne worshiping but I feel like um, this work will always be our work as a family because it's our, because it is our family. Like that's our makeup. But I also feel like that, um, that God is good and that there is progress made never enough in the right amount of time. But if we don't recognize the goodness of the Lord when he sh- when it's shown, mm. then that's also not being faithful mm. to him. So, yeah, I don't, and I generally am not very in touch with my feelings, and so I'm not sure how I feel about the future of this work other than to know it's not over. There is goodness in it for all those who take part, and it's worth it. It's so worth it because the the um, the deepness and intimacy I feel with Melanie, who is completely opposite of me, and we don't really have much in common, mm-hmm. Um, that is, there's never a moment in our friendship and relationship where I don't thank the Lord for his work in our lives for making that possible. That's the same with Charles. Like I asked myself that question a lot when we got married is how's this going to work? Cause we're so different, not just our colors, but like everything we're interested in is completely different. different (laughs) (laughs) Like I drink coffee and like art and watch reality TV and that's not Charles but I don't know if everybody heard Charles said Gilmore Gilmore say it the Gilmore girls <laughs> <laughs> but the the richness in our relationship and the outpouring of the gospel we are added to like there's so much of me now that I was missing yeah without this yeah yeah for me I think I would say that I am optimistic about it um, and I think there are a couple things. I am an optimi- optimistic person. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an Enneagram nine. Yeah. But also, I'm a social worker. You know, yeah. my both undergrad and grad degrees and backgrounds are in social work. So, um, it has been deeply ingrained in me to um, look at any situation, any you know person or community's you know story. And even in spite of the hardship or the challenges, 
to see those things as opportunities um, that can be um, overcome, that yeah. can be persevered through, uh, and that also can lead to growth. And I think that, you know, everywhere in the world, not just the U.S., not just Sierra Leone, but I feel like um, there I see a lot of opportunity for um, progress. And um, I think that, you know, by God's grace, we'll be able to work more towards the kingdom and to see the kingdom a little more clearly in our communities and in the world. Um, as Ali said, that picture won't be complete until Jesus comes back. Um, but until then, I think we'll see more of the kingdom, uh, in our given circles. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just ran across a picture of a woman's shirt and it said, hope is defiance. And, um, and like breathe hope. That's what your shirt says right now, Charles. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, like, I do appreciate that. Like, I, I feel like it's part of our job um as people of faith and as as people of um of morality like you don't have to be a christian um to be a part of this work but i do think that it's our job um to to stand up like the way i preach it is to like dig in your deals and dig in your heels and refuse to despair mm -hmm. and and the way that rob bell def defines despair is um the belief that tomorrow's going to be the same as today and the next day is going to be the same and mm -hmm. the next day is going to be the same and the next day is going to be the same like what we do um is say no change can come and i am a part of the change yeah that's right um and i also think like even if it even if the reconciliation doesn't happen globally i i have a friend in seminary who said no matter where we are who we are humans are always going to find some way to divide divide themselves yeah that's as, right to, to better yeah. or worse mm -hmm. but in the end what what is our work to do is to live into um the good thing and and that's not just for other people. That's for me too. Right. Like to be able to actually, um, live into the peaceable kingdom that that's where the, that's where the juice is. That's where the blessing is. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's where, um, you experience the fullness of life. Right. So there you go. There you go. All right. Um, so thanks for coming. We talked a long time. <laughs> thanks for having us. <laughs> Yeah, um, I'm sure uh, this will be split into two because there was a lot of meat there. Like, I almost feel like we could probably do like an eight part series on this, especially with all the very easy. Easy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So maybe we'll do that <laughs> if we have time before you move back to America. We'll see. OK, well, thanks, friends. Do you want to say anything else? Thank you for having us. Thanks for having this conversation. Yeah. It's important. Very important conversation. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your leadership in it. And boy, did you bring it today? So well, thank you. I always just say, preface everything with give us all the grace mm -hmm. because like all of these situations, if you're a person of color, you may have experienced them differently than Charles. Right. Exactly. And um, if you're a white person, you may have experienced this work differently than me. And so right. we're speaking through the lens of faith, but on our personal experiences. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, you guys. Um, next time you can come and talk to us about adoption. We would love that. Just another easy conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right. See you guys. Okay. So that was our conversation. Um, the hour and a half long conversation I had with Allie and Charles Curry. I told you at the beginning of this hour that I was going to give you a couple of people to follow. If you're interested in this, I'll tell you what I did a couple of years ago was it was suggested to me essentially the same way that Allie suggested here, that if you really want to do this work, you should start following people of color in whatever space you're in. So if that's Facebook there, if that's um, uh, Instagram or Twitter, and then also taking in all forms of media coming from their perspective. And I'll tell you, I've just been kind of quietly adding people that of color, especially on Twitter, that I find um, compelling. And 
it's been something that pushed me. It's been something that made me mad sometimes. It's been um, it's been something that was really like, especially even politically, even the last year over the um, primaries and things like that, being able to watch people's responses. I wouldn't have ever gotten the same experience had I not been following more people of color and that has colored my perspective on what's happening in the world as well it's it's a it's a small thing that actually I think makes a big impact as you're raising your own kind of understanding of what people of color go through in the world so all that to say there's three people that I'm going to recommend that you follow the first person is a woman by the name of Oshida Moore. She wrote a book about what it means to be a peacemaker in this time and space. She's also a pastor. And um, you can follow her on Instagram at Oshida Moore. And I'll, I'll have all the links and all of that. But what I found about her is that she is very gracious about her, her leadership. And she's the kind of person, like I've thought about reaching out to her and just being like, Will you be my friend? <laughs> because um, she's just very wise. Um, and she's written a, a lot about um, what it means to be a peacemaker. And I think it, it includes all of this kind of reconciliation work. So there's one for you, Oshita Moore. The second person I want to tell you about is a woman by the name of Austin Channing Brown. Let me say that again. Austin Channing Brown. She wrote a book that I read, I think about a year ago, called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. I follow her on all the spaces and I find her compelling. And her her chapter about white fragility, man... It hurt my feelings, y'all, <laughs> but um, it, it's just profoundly, um, it's been profoundly transforming for me. In fact, I'm thinking I'm going to go read it again. And then the third person is a new person I'm following. I don't actually know much about her. I've not done a whole lot of reading. However, there was a thread just this week on Twitter that um, so accurately uh, described my own experience as a person doing a person, a white person doing this work that I think um, it would be worth just going just for that thread. Her name is Allie Henney. And um, you can find her, uh, AllieHenney.com, and on Twitter. I'll link all this stuff, y'all. The other option is you can go and follow my Twitter, which is KatieMeek-PostmodernMissionary. And I do a lot of retweeting there. The, the, the thread in question is retweeted on my Twitter account, um, this week. That's my suggestion is that you just go and follow people that you find compelling, intentionally people of color and people who are doing the work in that kind of space. So that's my suggestion to you. I wanted to give you these resources just because they're people who have made a difference in my own life and um, helped me to walk in this space myself. That's all I have to say. And so I just want to say God bless you friends. And I hope that as you are continuing to be careful about this corona, that the Lord would bless you and keep you and uh, keep you healthy and whole and energetic for the work. 